0: Hello and welcome, everyone. My name is Harrison.
1: And I'm Daniel.
0: And this is the final episode of our three-part series on the history of science education.
1: That's right. Now, in case you guys missed the first couple of episodes, do feel free to go ahead and watch those before listening to this one. But to give you guys a quick rundown, science education is a very broad topic. Now, obviously, most of you guys will probably think about memorizing equations in physics or doing those long labs in chemistry class. But the way that science has been taught hasn't always been the same. In the first episode, Nick, our third member, and I talked about public science demonstrations, which were common occurrences hundreds of years back and still do happen today.
0: And in the second episode, Nick and I joined a current high school teacher to discuss current trends in pedagogical techniques and standardized testing in the more traditional K-12 classroom setting today.
1: But today, for our final episode, it's only fitting that we look towards the future, or at least what we expect a potential future might be for science education. And that specifically is the internet, and even more specifically, YouTube, which is basically a website where anyone can upload a video for the world to watch.
0: And you know, Daniel, while I think that YouTube is mostly known for its entertainment videos like this one, I'm going to attempt to sit underwater for 24 hours straight, because counting to 100,000 wasn't hard enough. <laughs> yup, out to MrBeast. There's also a lot of YouTubers that create educational content, and this can range from simple addition. We have three lemons, we add one lemon, we have four lemons, we add another lemon, we have five lemons, or lime, or tart pieces of fruit, whatever you might want to say. And there are even videos about advanced topics, like partial differential equations.
2: In that case, the equation looks quite similar, but you include the second derivative with respect to the other spatial directions as well.
0: And it's not just math. You have videos about biology, about astronomy, chemistry, history, etc. And I think something important to note is that it's not just the fact that there happens to be so many videos out there on the Internet and on YouTube. It's the fact that these are legitimately high quality videos that are really easily understandable, really easily digestible.
1: Yeah, definitely. I can, I can totally relate to that. And I think a lot of college kids can. I've even seen memes about you know YouTube videos being lifesavers when you're preparing for an exam because there was just this one concept that didn't click for you until you found the perfect YouTube video that explained it. Now, I mean, there are literally hundreds of thousands of educational videos on YouTube. In fact, uh, the actual statistic that they've determined is that 500 hours of video are uploaded to YouTube every minute. Whoa. Now that's across tons of different you know, right. categories, yeah. but some of that is educational video. So this is an unprecedented like trend in science education that we've never seen. Right.
0: I, I totally agree. These are totally unprecedented times for not only you know internet users, but for YouTube users. And I would even say that this is a new era for teachers in general. And I'd say that because it's the fact that YouTube creators have the option to monetize or place advertisements on their videos. And as you know, there's obviously going to be some debate about that. I mean, the good thing is that monetization does help a lot of people make YouTube their entire careers.
1: Yeah. And as a result of that, there are a lot of big name YouTubers out there. I mean, real celebrities. As one example, uh, we have Vsauce, who's this very famous YouTuber who posts videos about interesting topics like What does the world look like to colorblind people? And Vsauce has 16 million subscribers, meaning that 16 million people have told YouTube that they want to be notified every time Vsauce posts a new video. I mean, if we compare that to like Harvard College, which has hundreds of professors teaching maybe 6,000 or so students, I mean, this is many orders of magnitude bigger. It's definitely not commonplace in history to have educators being this famous. But at the same time, I do think that's where a possible con of YouTube comes in. Hmm. Because, you know, as we as you mentioned, Harrison, there's the idea of monetization. But to make the most they can off of ad revenue, they want their videos to get as many clicks as possible and go viral. Hmm. So they might make the educational quality a second priority, which isn't necessarily a good thing.
0: Yeah, I, I, I totally get that. It's kind of a tough dilemma for YouTubers to be in. Daniel, I'm sure you and I can sit here all day and talk about these problems, but it might be better for us to bring in someone with a little bit more expertise than us.
1: Uh, That's true. I will say that Harrison and I do both have a little bit of expertise ourselves. (laughs) Harrison and I actually do have our own YouTube channels, uh, but we did both start relatively recently. So we're both you know what you would call small YouTubers. Uh, We each have a few hundred to a thousand subscribers. So while we're both familiar with the YouTube platform, we figured we should talk with our new friend, Steven, who has a science channel called Martian Wolf. So let's go to the interview room.
0: Well, great to have you here, Steven. Uh, Why don't you start by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about your channel, Martian Wolf? Sure thing.
2: So um, my channel, I guess, called Martian Wolf focuses mainly on discussing various aspects in space exploration, general science, and a little bit of astrophysics, but more towards the technical sides and looking at NASA missions and some updates and news or discoveries and whatnot. So I started the channel back in the beginning of 2018, I believe. So I was a senior in my undergrad, but I knew that depending on where I went for graduate school and whatever whatever internships I would end up doing, I most likely was going to be traveling around a lot. So I thought it'd be easier to create a YouTube channel to talk about some of these things.
0: Yeah, thank you. So I was just curious, when you started your YouTube channel, was it more of a side hobby? Or were you thinking further ahead and wanting millions of subscribers or something? Even
2: now, I would say it's mostly a side hobby. Um, But one of the first things when I made these videos was, okay, I'm putting, you know, I'm putting so many hours into making this video. How would that equate to if I just went into a classroom and taught a bunch of kids? And kind of my metric of success was, okay if I'm putting 10 hours into this and then after a few weeks, my video reaches 10 hours of watch time, um, then, you know, that kind of meets kind of the lower end of the criteria. You know, that watch time metric makes complete sense. It's, It's just like a good way to acknowledge that, okay you know, I could go out and teach this for all these students all these times. But then the fact that, okay people are actually watching this, you know you know, 60% of my viewers are staying till the end. Like that's, at least they're
0: learning something, right? I hope. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So on the note of making videos, do you want to talk through the process of what it takes to create a video? Sure. So I usually begin with an idea. So I usually spend
2: a few days worth of researching, you know, which is a couple hours at a time looking into information, um, going all the way to you know, NASA sources or trying to find some of the publications that get into details. Um, And then I kind of tailor the actual research material to make it a little bit more interesting, such that, you know, it's digestible from someone that might not understand. Or maybe there's a topic that, you know, people aren't necessarily or familiar with spectroscopy or something. Maybe that's a region I can kind of talk about what spectroscopy is. So I assess that. And then um, usually I film which filming usually takes the shortest amount of time, 45 minutes to an hour and a half to film a 10 to 15 minute video. Just, you know, making sure you say the right things, making sure all this stuff. I don't have a script. So I usually have an outline for what I'm doing, um, but I don't keep like a specific script that I say. From there, uh, editing, which probably takes the most amount of time. So I would say editing can take many hours, at least for my case, probably take anywhere from five to 10 hours to edit it. So even for one video that only ends up being 10 to 15 minutes, it's you know, upwards of 15 to 20 hours to create. I guess kind of my, uh, keeping track of questions and comments, because um, normally most views come within the first week or so that it's posted. So if there's questions or if there's um, updates to information, then I keep track of that in the comments.
0: Oh, so you're saying that after every video, you're going into the comments and engaging with the audience and actually fixing any errors that you might be making in your videos. So that's some of the back and forth you get. I think that does tie into my next point, because as Daniel and I discussed earlier, Uh, YouTube is slightly deregulated in its educational quality in that basically anyone can go out there and post their own videos however they want without really any set rules as to how accurate that information has to be. And for you, it seems like you spend a good amount of time doing research at the start to make sure that, you know, the quality is great. But I guess my question is, how do you feel about the quality of educational content and the accuracy of it on YouTube? And do you think there needs to be more or less regulation on it? So that's an excellent point. Um,
2: I think one of the biggest reasons that, you know, this is, I guess, not necessarily a problem, but more of like a, a situation is, right, is like if I don't spend that much time doing research and, you know, I kind of make stuff up or whatever, then it could really just be wrong and it could just you know it's not educational it's just wrong and I think it's very specific to it kind of puts the responsibility in the user rather than the like the content creator but for my case I just try to make something that's as helpful as possible
0: that's a really interesting perspective I don't think I've ever thought of it that way where it's the user's responsibility more than the creator's responsibility but I guess now that you mentioned that, you know, YouTube education and internet education is very tied together. Uh, something that I wanted to talk about is that YouTube education is slightly different in that there's this incentive for YouTube creators to want their videos to get more clicks, so that you know they can spread their information more out there. So I'm just wondering, for you as a creator, do you ever feel the urge to, you know, do away a little bit with the educational content and try to make your videos a lot more entertaining instead to try to get as many views as possible? Um, I would, there's definitely a drive to do that or there's definitely
2: an incentive to do that obviously because if you, if you wanted to make YouTube your full-time career which I don't know if I'm necessarily, that's my goal at all to do that. Um, but if that's kind of your ambition to do to become a full-time YouTuber, then obviously you want to tailor your, tailor your videos to your content or your content to the algorithm which can be entertaining, but then for educational purposes, it might not necessarily be the most educational. I don't know, you guys said you have smaller YouTube channels. What do you think about it? What what are your opinions?
1: I feel like starting a YouTube channel in college is a good move in that you're kind of already in this zone of, I have to be very careful with the research that I'm doing because my school requires it. So then when you start a YouTube channel, you kind of put that same expectation on yourself, or at least I have. So every single Mm -hmm. video, like in the description, I have like, a paste bin link to all the sources that I used in that video like I, I try to be very careful with that um so it's something that like it's on the youtubers you know responsibility of themselves like they have to hold themselves to that standard because no one else is
0: I completely agree with that Daniel but at the same time I do think it's kind of interesting that you said that it's the responsibility of the video creators to make sure that their content is reliable, while Steven thinks it's the viewer's responsibility. So I guess, uh, Daniel or Steven, if either of you wanted to elaborate more on what exactly you mean. See, the issue is that you would hope that the YouTuber would hold more responsibility
2: because they're the one creating the content. However, in reality, as the user, you're also the one that's taking in that content. So I would, I, I mean, I guess from our perspective, so we're kind of saying that the creator themselves should be holding themselves responsible for what they create. But at the same time, there's, right, there's no way to stop someone from
0: making something that's just completely wrong.
1: Yeah, it is an interesting I don't interesting know, a hard, it's way. a hard
0: question. Right. I totally agree. And Stephen, we're running a little bit short on time. So I just want to wrap this up with a couple final questions. So, um, you know, a lot of reviewers might want to do YouTube in the near future or are already thinking about starting a YouTube channel. So would you have any advice for them? It's, it's definitely a process. You have to keep making things. You have to,
2: you know, learn how to grow from it, make sure that you're enjoying it. And even if, you know, if it's not growing or if it's staying the same it's, if it's something you enjoy doing, then that's the whole purpose of it. I mean it's it's not my I mean it's not going to be my career I mean unless you guys plan on becoming the next uh Mark Rober or something then you have to keep me in mind
0: but (laughs) um (laughs) yeah but honestly I feel like that's a great place to be
1: yeah I think it could be exciting I mean there's a bit of uncertainty that can be scary and like oh I don't know what I'm doing but
0: uh the way that I like to put it is that if there's anything that 2020 has taught us there's nothing certain but uncertainty
1: You have to, yeah. Um, Uncertainty is guaranteed.
0: Yeah,
1: (laughs) that's true. Yeah. Well, thank you,
0: Stephen, so much for taking the time to speak to Daniel and I. We really appreciate it. And I'm sure our viewers learned a lot about the life of a YouTuber, basically. Listeners, don't forget to check out Stephen's channel on YouTube. It's called Martian Wolf. I'm sure you'll enjoy it and learn a lot. Thanks again, Stephen. And since this is the final episode, Daniel and I wanted to finish off by thanking some people. We'll be right back so first of all thank you to you the listener for following us throughout all three episodes
1: and we also wanted to thank uh, our episode one interviewees dr sarah Schechner, daniel rosenberg and wolfgang ruckner
0: and a special thanks to our episode two and three interviewees anti p and steven martian wolf
1: As well as the uh, teachers for this course, uh, Dave Unger and Shireen Hamza for their uh, incredible help in teaching us how to make a podcast.
0: And of course, uh, thank you to Daniel. Thank you to Nick. Uh, Thank you,
1: Harrison. Yes.
0: (laughs) We had a really good time making this podcast. And thank you to all of our classmates for providing feedback throughout this entire process. Absolutely. And on that note, we hope you all enjoyed listening and following us along throughout all these three episodes. And for the final time, let's say together, keep on learning.